Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone. Welcome to the Rider Rumblings uh, podcast. We're very pleased today to have with us uh, our special guest, uh, Alex Dormuth. He's a uh, producer of The Green Zone on CJME and CKOM and also host of the Piffles podcast. Alex, thanks so much for uh, being with us today. Anytime, Rob. Thanks for having me. What hat is that? This is a Saskatchewan baseball. Ah. Got to support very, the local stuff. Very flashy. I, I should have worn a hat or a toupee. I think the latter may have been more, more necessary today, but well, <laughs> too bad there's a visual element to this. Otherwise, I could just, I could just cloak myself in, in audio. As we record this, it's a, it's a Wednesday morning, and we're not really sure what Wednesday afternoon is going to look like uh, with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. As of now, there hasn't been any announcement on uh, whether the team will resume practicing. The practice was cancelled on Tuesday due to a COVID outbreak that apparently affected five players to varying degrees. So uh, I'll throw that up right at the start. We just uh, throw that out there right at the start. We we don't really know (laughs) as we discuss this um, what the state of everything is. Uh, having lowered expectations that uh, that drastically, <laughs> uh, there's certainly a lot to lot to chew on. The Rough Riders, uh, one third of the way into their season, and it's been an eventful one so far. Uh, Alex, what do you make of this team at this juncture? Well, this is still a good team despite all the injuries and discipline problems that they've been having. Uh, I mean, the four and two record says it all. And through the first third of the season, if anybody ask you if the four and two start is good, I would say yes. But they're still not in that tier where Winnipeg is. They're not in that tier where Calgary is, which is just below that. They're right next to that. So this is a good team. And I think once everyone is healthy again, once you have Shaq Evans back, once Tyron Moore can return on offense, if Dan Clark comes back this season, who knows what's going on there long-term anyway. But this is a very solid team. The defense is is excellent they're probably the reason why they have four wins right now they've been playing just phenomenal ball this year and it's a good team i don't think they're elite right now though you know they're four and two but is there a bit of an asterisk to apply in that they the only west team they've faced so far is is a struggling edmonton team there it's four and two without having played winnipeg without without having played bc no, because you have to play these teams anyway, right? So, it, I mean, it's, you, you play what's put in front of you and, and the way the 
schedule maker makes it is to try and have all these big matchups at the end of the season. But at the start of the season, the games mean just as much in the standings as they do later in the season. So you just have to go out there and, and play your game and win. I'm just not sure that they've had a barometer game yet, though. You know, uh, that, that bellwether game that may be uh, when BC is here. And it's going to get really interesting really quickly. Not that it hasn't been interesting so far, but it gets more interesting when you look at three games in four weeks against BC, followed by three games in four weeks against uh, against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And then back-to-back Calgary games at the end of the year. It certainly builds up. We're sort of dealing with the preliminaries here. <laughs> we get to a lot of main events and semi-main events. Uh, by the end of the month, it's, it's really going to pick up, I would think. Yeah, that uh, game at the end of the month against BC, that's going to be the first real, like you said, barometer test of this team to see where they're at. I think BC, I don't want to say they overachieved in the first couple weeks, but their loss against uh, Winnipeg kind of grounded them. And I I like the story of Nathan Rourke. I I think he's going to be a very good player. I like their offense and what they've done with their changes over in BC. But again, who did they play in the first couple weeks? It was a Toronto team that cross-country travel, they never seemed to do well going out to the BC. Uh, Edmonton was an absolute mess that that game that they beat them at home. So that that BC against Winnipeg game kind of showed me where BC is. They're an okay team, but they're not up there yet. So I think their record is is not indicative of of the team that they are because they still haven't played anybody either. So with the Riders, yeah, you can make that point as well too that they really haven't played anybody too strong, but. I do think Toronto is still the, the class of the East right now. So hanging in with them all game with ma- major changes last week to the roster, especially right before the game started when AC Leonard wasn't playing and everybody on defense was switching around. So I think that was the first real test for the riders. And we're going to see another one this week against Toronto in the rematch, especially with the COVID situations that, that they have, how many players are going to be out. Is anybody going to be out because of this if they're going to have to reschedule the game? We still don't know. That's all up in the air right now. But this will be another test for the team. Uh, but I think the real one does come against BC at the end of the month. If you look at it too, I mean, the Riders have the two losses. The one of them, the first one was in Montreal with ridiculous travel, ridiculous scheduling. You could almost see that loss coming. I think we got a truer indication what the Rough Riders were about when they played Montreal the next week and, and, and won pretty handily. And then last week, or Saturday, um, my goodness, you mentioned the absolute decimation of the defense due to injuries, illness, what have you. And uh, they had to play a pretty vanilla basic defense and still you know, presented themselves pretty credibly. And then on offense, you've got a quarterback who's at, what, maybe 60% efficiency due to that knee and, uh, and, and an offensive line that's, that continues to be porous. And it still went down to the final minute or two. And I think with better play calling, they could have at least enhanced their chances of winning. So maybe the four and two, as much as I tried to, you know, put a bit of a damper on it earlier, you can look at the two losses and sort of justify them in light of the circumstances, the adverse and extraordinary circumstances they faced both times they've lost a football game. Yeah, this like, it's still a good team. It really is. And that loss last week, I don't, I don't know why they got away from the run game. We've seen the last couple of weeks, the run game really, really go for this team. 
using Hickson as well as, as Jamal Morrow. And they got away from that. And, and those are their two best players on offense. Two of their best players on offense right now use them. And that's the, the O-line. And their pass protection isn't very good, but their running run blocking is, has been very good. So play to their strengths. When you look at that uh, the game against Montreal at, at Mosaic, the second half adjustments that they made, made it a lot of quick throws, doing stuff at the line of scrimmage, moving the defense or moving the offense laterally instead of trying to stretch the field. It worked out really well. So I don't know why Jason Moss decided to move away from that. Um, but that's what they need to do. They need to make things easy on Cody Fajardo just because his mobility is limited right now. He's not the greatest pocket passer, and he'll be the first to say that. But he needs to be able to move around or, or make those quick throws and get it to the playmakers for him to be effective. And that's what the offense needs to build around, whether it's bringing in another fullback for blocking on the line, whether it's playing a, you know, a six alignment set, whatever it is. And, and we've seen them play the, the power eye with uh, two fullbacks and a running back. I'd like to see more of that because that was, that was some good old, old school smash mouth football, but it was working. And that's what this team needs to get back to. Yeah, I just didn't understand. I mean, the, Frankie Hickson has a 63-yard touchdown run against Ottawa, and then he doesn't have a carry in, in touchdown Atlantic. He has one reception for, for a short game. Now, Jamal Morrow, aside from the 51-yard run, uh, really wasn't able to get a lot going on the ground. Obviously, I think Toronto was as determined to stop the Rough Riders running game as the Rough Riders were to stop the, the Argonauts running game because Andrew Harris didn't do anything. But... Uh, I just wondered late in the game, even if you don't, you you know, Boar Speedy's just missed the field goal, and uh, you you can't extinguish a, a ton of time. But they threw up on first down. They threw a pass, and and it was like I kind of shuddered. And then it's second and six, and I am scaring the dog by screaming at the TV, saying, "Run the ball, run the ball!" And then they they get intercepted. And uh, maybe that was a little bit too passive, but you've just gotten a huge break with the BD miss field goal. I, I just got the feeling they were pushing their luck there. And uh, obviously it's classic second guessing, but I was, I was actually like yelling at the TV and uh, being rather uh, um, ruffled doing it. So your th- what are your thoughts on that? Should I be yelling at the TV or should I? <laughs> did I have uh, did I have did I have cause to be as uh, as 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 uh, unraveled as I was for those precious few seconds? I think so. Uh, I don't mind the the play call on second down. Um, so you pass the ball and just try and get that first down instead of trying to just kill another twenty seconds off the clock by running it. I think they should have ran it on first down just to see where they were going to be at. Um, and then we can nitpick that interception all we want. Did Cody hold on hold on to the ball too long? Yes. Um, but I mean, that, that is what it is. The defense made a great play that you can tell that that was them doing a lot of film work, uh, making that interception and and knowing the tendencies that Cody Fajardo has and knowing that they were only going to go for a a first down throw and not go anything bigger than that. But again, I'd like, I'd like to see them go to moving laterally a little bit more, get the ball to the playmakers early. Maybe there should have been a, a hitch pass thrown there instead or a screen, um, a hot route over the middle instead of, of trying to throw a little bit outside. That was, I think, just the, the execution of that, of where that play was going on second down was, that was not what they should have been doing. So um, 
yell at the TV all you want, Rob. Um, <laughs> um, I, I don't know if I would have ran it on that play, but I for sure would have uh, would have done something different. I just felt like on first down, they dodged such a bullet there by getting the completion, and it wasn't the – I even kind of shuddered when they uh, threw the ball. It was just like – I just felt like a pass at that stage was just so risky considering the limitations of that offense. And, and they clawed their way back into the game. Uh, Cody had made the – the long pass to Schaefer Baker. They had the they had the touchdown pass to Duke Williams, and I thought, okay, they've finally gotten ahead of this game. Like, just maybe I maybe I shouldn't have been an advocate, such an advocate for passivity at that point. But I just it's that point at that point of the game, I just thought, don't beat yourselves because you finally got the upper hand. And uh, in a matter of seconds, it went the other way on them. And what can you do? It's uh, uh, water from the Atlantic Ocean under the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I mean, there's so much talk about Cody. Should he be playing? Should he not be playing? What's your take on that? As long as, I mean, he's your franchise quarterback right now. And if you're Craig Dickinson, you have to trust what he says. If he thinks he can run the ball effectively, uh, not run the ball, but run the offense effectively and, and not have that being hindered at all, then absolutely you have to play him. But there, I think, I think there really needs to be a strong conversation this week. Cody, can you go? Can you? Are you able to move around? Because you're not a pocket passer. You need to be able to move around to be the best quarterback that you are. And if you can't do that, then maybe we have to look to starting Mason Fine and, and sit for a week or two before the bye. Because Cody's way more valuable in November than he is right now. We, like The Riders will need him going down that stretch when they play Winnipeg three out of four weeks, when they play the Stampeders back-to-back to end the season. They'll need him for that. And with the setback that he had in, in Toronto, maybe this is the time to, to, to sit him because it's a non-divisional game. And if he can even go next week against BC, then, then maybe you play him there. I wouldn't have taken him out if I was uh, Craig Dickinson, at least uh, later in the game. When he first got injured there and, and was pounding on the ground when, when he got tackled, I might have pulled him there for a series or two but I would have absolutely put him back in because he is your guy. And it's, it was a tight game the whole way. You need your starter there. So I think you have to trust Cody Fajardo. Nobody knows Fajardo's body better than him. So you have to, you have to trust him. You know, he may, after he was hurt or after he aggravated the knee injury, he made that nice pivot on the touchdown pass to uh, Jamal Morrow. That looked like the Cody that's, that we're accustomed to, to seeing. Um, even on the Roughriders' final possession, he had a 10-yard run, and that's about as gutsy a play as you're going to see when you consider that there's a quarterback who's obviously laboring, and yet he found a way to manufacture 10 yards with uh, with a bad knee. Uh, and then I heard the, a lot of the criticism of Cody afterwards, and I just wondered if people are even close to putting what he's doing in context. There's no doubt that Cody Fajardo is one of, if not the toughest player in the league. Uh, we've seen this over his few years as a starter here in Saskatchewan. He doesn't have to prove that anymore. He is a tough, tough player, and it's going to take a lot to take him out. Like Craig Dickinson said after the game, there was no thought of taking him out because I'd have a fight on my hands. And, I, don't uh, think the, I don't think the criticism of, of Cody is, is warranted in that regard, um, trying to play through injury. And, and should he step back himself no I don't I don't think so he knows he's the quarterback of this team if he feels that he's hurting the team then then I think he would pull himself 
or, or say to the coach, look, I, I can't go. Like, I need to take a series or two off and, and see what's wrong or go into the locker room or whatever the case is. But I think the, the, that kind of criticism on, on Cody is unwarranted right now. I'd feel a little more comfortable if there was an offensive line that could protect him. It just, it seems to me to be a uh, worst of both worlds scenario where you've got an injured quarterback and, and an offensive line that's allowed the most sacks in the league, uh, 24. At this point last year, the Rough, I mean, the Rough Riders didn't have a very good offensive line last year. They'd allowed 13 sacks at the six-game mark. So they're already 11 sacks above what was um, the total that was attached to a bad offensive line last year. That's it's so. I mean, that's a 72 sack pace over the course of a regular season with an injured quarterback. It just, to me, it seems like a ticking time bomb unless either Cody can get his rest or they can do something protection wise to uh, provide him with the re- reinforcements and, and security that he needs. And, and I, I just don't see how they, how either one of those can be addressed given the time constraints that the team faces. Well, I think a lot of that comes down to play calling again. If you can get in a fullback to to help in pass protection or bringing in Jamal Campbell, your sixth offensive lineman, to do more six O line sets, maybe that's what they have to do. And yeah, that takes a receiver off the off the field, but you got to keep Fajardo upright. And that offensive line for two years has not been up to par. Jeremy O'Day didn't. I don't think he did enough in the off season to address the biggest need of the team. Of course with Logan Bandy starting, you're going to have some growing pains there. And even with Logan Furland, he's a very young offensive lineman coming up through the junior ranks. I think Evan Johnson has been a little bit more of the, the disappointment to me um, coming over from Ottawa last year. And I thought he was a lot better than this. I, I feel like there could have been, he, he could be better at this stage in his career. And the right tackle has been just a, a mess of a spot. I don't know how Ty Rogers is, still starting right now um, you can help the ratio by putting in Jamal Campbell is Jamal Campbell going to be any worse than Natai Rogers at this point we don't know because he's not even playing so yeah the Jamal Campbell thing is really puzzling uh, what has not gone right there yeah I, I I don't know what's going on I'm I'm not able to to go to practices and see how he how he does against the Riders D-line in practice but there's something there that's keeping him off the field and I just think with him being a Canadian, that would help out with the ratio and you can move some things around even on defense just to have another American starter if you need to, with, especially with the injuries that are going on. There's, there's got to be something there. I know it's that's the old line. It, it does take a while to, to grow together. We saw this with the early 2000s uh, team. It was a brand new offensive line and it took a little while for them to get going, but when they did, they were very good. But again, if, if you're going to have these kind of problems in pass protection, run the ball, get these guys moving and, and doing what they're comfortable doing and what they're best at. I'm really old. I saw this in 1979. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that line also gelled into one of the, one of the best in the league, but it takes some time. And you know, coming into the year, I mean, they didn't anticipate the Dan Clark injury, obviously, but they weren't a very good offensive line or didn't have a very good offensive line last year with Dan Clark. I think it was the tackles that needed the attention. And Natai Rogers has had his great moments. He blocked three guys on the Frankie Hicks and touchdown run. Uh, I mean, he's, and you mentioned the run blocking as a whole. I think it's been very good, but he also got beaten on the uh, three-man rush in, in, in touchdown Atlantic. And then I think they put way too much stock in Taron Vaughn being able to come back to 100%. Now he's missed some games. And, and, and left tackle is, again, a question mark or a revolving door. It just 
they've really needed to to do everything possible to fix that and i think they gambled a bit and it looks like they're losing that gamble so far and I, I got to go to Jeremy O'Day on that. You'd think a former offensive lineman would uh, would see these issues and, and address it a little bit more aggressively in free agency. I like what he's done in the draft with offensive linemen, but usually that takes a couple of years for them to develop into starters. And, and through no fault of their own, they're being forced to start right now. Maybe they're not ready for, for this, but at the tackles, they, they got to, like you said, they got to do something. I don't I don't know if you can bring anybody in right now especially with NFL training camps not even underway. Like, this is going to be the old line we have here in Saskatchewan until maybe September when NFL cuts start coming and you can even bring in another American tackle and try someone different there. This is, this is what they are right now. Yeah, I mean, if there was a tackle who was worth having on a roster that could be an improvement, he would be on a roster somewhere right now. And uh, it's not as tough to find an American offensive lineman as it is a someone at another position, but there's still the the norm has become to use Americans on the flanks and the offensive line. And the Rough Riders clearly just haven't been able to keep pace in that regard. Defensively, however, uh, I think we, this might be a bit of a parallel to last year. The, the, the defense is going to have to carry this team as far as it can go. You, presumably there'll be a more of a full complement of players uh, in, in the weeks ahead. But what Jason Shivers has done with this defense, even last week trying to patch it together as he did with Mike Edom playing defensive halfback and Jaden Dalkey playing safety and uh, 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 basically a B-list defensive defensive uh, line, uh, Anthony Lanier playing end instead of tackle. Uh, and, and the defense still didn't really get that lacerated you know, when you consider what could have been, I, Jason Shivers, I think Rough Rider fans have to enjoy him being here as long as he's here because I think that's someone who's going to have a meteoric rise uh, in the Canadian Football League or perhaps uh, elsewhere in the football universe. He's that good. Yeah, I'm with you 100% on that, Rob. What he's done with this team, you know, after Chris Jones left before the 2019 season, or sorry, the 2018 season, it was he, he's been absolutely fantastic. And I think when he took over as defensive coordinator, it was, okay, well, this is a Chris Jones defense, but you can really see his stamp on this defense and moving to that positionless defense, as they call it, uh, just having the versatility of doing stuff, Lanier being able to play tackle and end. You have Mike Edom, who has played safety his entire career, can move down into halfback or play at linebacker at Sam at times. Uh, the, great, the good thing about this defense is that you have no idea where guys are going to play. So it does confuse the offense. And these guys are, are players. Like they're very, very good athletes and they're, they're, they're doing a great job. And I can't, I, I can't say enough about this defense right now with the way that they're playing. And that includes just touchdown Atlantic being, it was a makeshift defense with Amari Henderson out, your starting halfback with Rowan Milligan being out and all everything happening. Like it was, it was still, they didn't, I don't, they didn't struggle. I wish they would have gotten a, a little bit more pressure from the D line, but not much you can do there. If uh, you have AC Leonard out as a, as a late game scratch and, and Charleston Hughes didn't make the trip. So you're, you're kind of running on fumes on, on the defensive end, but this is a very good defense. They have some very good players and Shivers seems to know how to really bring the best out of them. You look at a guy like Jeremy Clark, who seemingly came out of nowhere last year to start at, at corner. And this year he's been 
great. He's been very, very good. And you see him playing from the corner position up at the line of scrimmage, and he's in on all the tackles on, you know, chasing the ball, even on run plays. He's just, he's a very good one. So they've, they've found some really good talent on defense, and, and Jason Shivers is really using that to their advantage. Yeah, look at what Larry Dean's doing. I'm just, this is someone who's about to turn 34 years of age. Uh, I used to think that was old, then I turned 58. But um, he, uh, this is someone who's missed an entire year with an Achilles injury, and he is moving around. When he made the interception against Ottawa, I thought it was, a, at first it was a defensive back, not only making the interception, but running the ball. He was that nimble, that agile, uh, that athletic. And then you realize it's a soon-to-be 34-year-old linebacker coming off an Achilles injury. It's just like, what? And it just keeps doing it. It's just, this is, if the, if the CFL had a comeback player of the year award, uh, Larry Dean would have already won it. Like, <laughs> based on six games worth of evidence. What a story he's been this year. He's been just very solid. We knew the linebacking core was going to be good going into the season, but losing Micah Tights to injury we were wondering, okay, well, where's everybody going to play now? And, and is Larry Dean going to be able to hold up with that injury? And he sure has. And this is a guy that, generally speaking, played a lot of middle linebacker, especially in his time in Hamilton. And now he's playing wide side, or sorry, weak side linebacker. And he can go anywhere. This guy is, is having a fantastic season. And it's a great story to see. You never like seeing guys get hurt, especially in, in a weird pre- preseason off or on the field practice without it really being a, a sanctioned thing. So to come back from that and, and play at the level that he's playing at is a true testament to, to how this good this player is, how good Larry Dean is, and just his attitude going with it. Like he's, he's out there to prove that he's still an elite player in the CFL and he's absolutely doing that right now. And my favorite moment of the Rough Rider season, and I'll qualify that by, saying it was a terrible moment as well, was when uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli is down on the turf, just in absolute agony. And there is Larry, and then there's chaos going on in the field. And there's Larry Dean right beside Jeremiah Mazzoli. Like how classy is that? How much of a professional is that? You know, much has been made, and I've made some of the much. Um, is that even remotely grammatical? Uh, of the Rough Riders, <laughs> you know, discipline issues and behavior and what have you. But do you see a better demonstration of sportsmanship and professionalism than what Larry Dean uh, showed in those awful few minutes in, against Ottawa? I mean, my goodness. I, I, how often have you ever seen anything like that in, in sports? Especially, well, especially when there's a – yeah. And, and when on – on a dirty hit like Garrett Marino did have there, usually it's, it's let's go to the scrum and, and break everybody off that and make sure a fight doesn't happen. And to do that, I know – that was his teammate in Hamilton for a while. So um, obviously they became friends off the field and, and have that mutual respect for each other. So to see that is, is a, is a nice shining light for the team, especially when the riders have been criticized so heavily over the last couple of weeks with their undisciplined nature, with all the, all the stuff going on with the team, Duke Williams throwing helmets and, and whatnot to see a guy like this still being classy in a, in a really heated moment. To, to recognize that and, and do the right thing is is a testament to testament to the man himself. And then after that game, you know, Duke Williams did the right thing. Uh, the game against Ottawa. I mean, he he made it clear that he did not condone what Garrett Marino did. And it's not very often that you hear a, a player talk about a teammate 
like that. But that to me was a sign of a, of a real leader. And it, you kind of juxtapose that with, with what happened uh, against the Argonauts. And, uh, and, uh, and now Craig Dickinson has said that uh, Shaq Richardson in his, in, in the view of Craig Dickinson was certainly provoking that little incident, but uh, you know, I just, I just wonder where the whole Duke Williams thing is going with the, with the helmet. Cause that's a pretty, pretty serious thing and uh, but this is someone i think has really turned into a tremendous leader for this football team as well despite that incident yeah to to call out your teammates Derek marino there that was that's a real sign of a leader to me saying that i'm going to sit down with him and have a talk and tell him that this is unacceptable and, and why it's unacceptable i think duke was caught in a really just just a bad moment with, with shaq richardson um i Yes, there was some pre-existing history between the two and, and bad blood on the field before. No, I'm not justifying him throwing helmets because that should never happen. And, and he should face some sort of penalty from the league for that, whether it's a suspension or a fine. We'll leave that to the league to decide. And whether he should have played that game or not is, is another story. But I think that was just a, a, a bad moment for the team. I think it was frustration over a lot of things happening. And I mean, who knows what's said on the field, even pregame chatter happens. So you can't let that get to you. And if you're Duke Williams, I think he knows, he knows to just walk away going forward. So I think we're, we're not going to see anything like that happen again, especially with Duke. I think he is that leader that can really, really step aside and, and own that, own what he did and say, what I did was wrong and that ain't going to happen again. What do you make of all these penalties? <laughs> I mean, my goodness, it just, and by and large, they get away with it. I mean, they've won, I think, two-thirds of the games in which they've had more than 10, 10 or more penalties under Craig Dickinson as a head coach. Generally, it hasn't come back to haunt them. And Toronto is actually the more penalized team in, in touchdown Atlantic. But at some point, you think that this is really going to be something that's going to be to their detriment. Uh, so far, it really hasn't caught up with them in terms of uh, the number of penalties equating with a string of losses. Yeah, and this has been a problem ever since Craig Dickinson took over as head coach. They've had that undisciplined nature, taking a lot of penalties, and really it hasn't cost them. Like you said, it hasn't cost them any losses. The losses that they have had have not been because of penalties. It's just been execution of plays or like the game in Montreal, which we kind of saw coming with one practice, cross-country travel, and just getting blown out. That was, I mean... You can kind of scrap that loss. Every team has has one of those every season. But three years in a row now, we're we're seeing this out of a Craig Dickinson led team, and it's it it really makes me curious as to the kind of leader that Craig Dickinson is. Very nice man, I think he is a great leader. But there comes a point when discipline has to one come from the coach. But when does it fall on the players? Because ultimately, they have to police themselves on the field. They have Craig Dickinson can't do anything other than threaten playing time. So with the injuries that these guys have, you can't really threaten play or playing time right now after Craig Dickinson. You're not going to take Duke Williams, one of your best offense players off the field, uh, unless you have to. And it, and it hasn't cost them games yet, so they're winning despite of all this. But once the losses start piling up, if they go into some weird tailspin and start taking penalties and, and lose two or three games in a row, then something will have to change because 
this is a team that's been in the West final the last two seasons and they just, they, they win despite themselves. Um, and it hasn't cost them, but eventually it's going to, when they play the Calgary's and the Winnipeg's and they just, they can't afford that right now. So the penalties need to stop. I was impressed with uh, Natalia Rogers in the, uh, it was the, the Ottawa game. He didn't have, there was no penalties at all for the team in the first half. And he didn't have one at all that game. And he was the big problem with, with penalties on the offense anyway. So I think, I think there is the chance for them to, to get better, but I don't know how much better it's going to get with, with Craig Dickinson running things because we haven't seen it really improve that much in his entire tenure here in Saskatchewan. I uh, asked you for a half hour of your life that you can't have back, and we have now reached, I think, even exceeded that point. Is there anything else you'd like to, to mention before I uh, so courteously allow you to get on with your day? Don't panic, Rider Nation. This is still a very good team. Yes, there are things going on off the field, on the field with this team that uh, may not look all that good, but they're still 4-2. and two. So if they can start winning some of the Western matchups upcoming, in August when they have Edmonton and BC a few more times, they'll be in a good spot going into Labor Day. And as everybody in the CFL says, the real season doesn't start until Labor Day. So once they get there, if they can get healthy and put the first quarter of the season, first third of the season behind them and move on from there, if Cody Fajardo can at least get up to 75 or 80% um, mobility rate so he can be more effective running the offense, they'll be in a good position and they'll, they'll, They'll be in the playoffs. They'll, I think they'll still be in the Western playoffs when the, when the time comes around. And all you need is a chance. So I think they can match up pretty well against Calgary. We've seen them match up well against Winnipeg in the playoffs the last couple of years. Whether they're over that hump now to beat them in the playoffs, I, I still don't see it. But this is still a very good team. And any given Sunday, it's, it's a one-game playoff. So anything can happen as long as they build towards there and, and get healthier and, and start playing their best ball later in the season, they'll be just fine. This is the CFL. So it's actually any given Thursday. <laughs> Two games um, on Thursday this week. My goodness. Um, you're wearing one hat, but actually figuratively you wear two hats, uh, producer of the green zone on CJM and CKOM and also the host of Piffle's podcast. Tell me a bit about, uh, all this juggling you're doing and all this programming that you are figuring so in instrumentally in. Uh, it's a, it's a nonstop process. It's, I it's bet. always, always going. <laughs> there are times when it's just, even with the podcast on the side, it's, oh, do I really want to do it? I don't, it feels like work. I've been talking about this stuff at work for, you know, three days this week and now we got to do a podcast on it, but it's a lot of fun and I wouldn't be doing them if I didn't enjoy them. So it's, I mean, especially here in, in Saskatchewan, there's always <laughs> always something to talk about. If, if nothing else, you talk about the backup quarterback. So we always have something on the go, and it's always a lot of fun. And love talking to people. Everyone's so passionate about the riders here, either one way or another, anyway, it seems. And it's always just, just fun to talk about it. Where does one find the Piffles podcast? You can find us anywhere you find your podcast, Spotify, uh, iTunes, anywhere you go. Just search Piffles podcast. And uh, we have the website, pifflespodcast.com. And that leads me into this seamless segue into my outro. Uh, um, I've got to read this. I'm under orders to do so. And it sort of echoes what you were saying. If you enjoy the podcast, please, 
You said it much better. Let's try that again. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and a five-star rating. It helps us to grow the podcast. You can subscribe to the show on, as is the case with the Piffles podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to send us a question, please feel free to email me. Uh, it's rvanstone at postmedia.com. I'm also on Twitter at Rob Vanstone. How imaginative. Where can you be found on social media, Alex? You can give me a follow on Twitter at RealAlexD. Uh, also, Piffles Podcast at Piffles Pod. And uh, there's one member of your Piffles Podcast crew who definitely does not want followers, judging by the intro every week. So no followers no. for Greg, right? No followers <laughs> for Greg on sports. That's right. He does not want any <laughs> follows. Uh, so don't give them to him. Great. Well, Alex, uh, producer Alex, as you sometimes hear him described as on the radio, I really appreciate you taking the time today. And uh, I hope uh, you'll uh, be amenable to doing this again one of these weeks. Anytime you need it, Rob, I'm here for you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Alex, for uh, Alex Dormuth. I'm, uh, what's my name again? Rob Vanstone. And we will do this again uh, next week. Thanks for your time and take care. <laughs>